Hash House and Circle Up. Welcome to On On, the Hash House Harrier podcast for interviews, history, and stories. I'm your host, Ra. Today on the podcast, we're back on the East Coast with a hasher who's got some exciting news about some future hashing on the continent. From Slutty Crab, it is Scuba Deuce. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Let's tell people your origin story. When, where, and how did you get to your first hash? Oh, man. My first hash was in Sigonella, Sicily, round about 2012 or so. In my mortal life, I'm a Navy guy, and I just happened to be there. And this buddy of mine was like, fun a lot. I'm going to do this thing. That was like all the introduction I got, and it was fun. And, and so I did that and then didn't think about it for a while. And I was stationed out in Hawaii for a while. And another friend was like, oh, you should come do this thing on Saturday. And I was like, oh, this looks familiar. And, and I was there for six years and I never went back. And then I ended up in Maryland. And I don't know if you've ever lived in Southern Maryland, about two hours south of DC, there's absolutely nothing here. And especially having lived in Hawaii for six years and then showed up in Maryland in the dead of winter in February, it's a little depressing. This buddy, his hash name is Saved by the Smell. He hashes out in Germany now. But he was like, come do this thing. And from then, I just, it became an every week thing. And I've been a big travel hasher for probably six or seven years now. So that was how it happened. But, but it took cool. three times before it stuck. Let's just get a snapshot view. What was it like in Signella? Was that a military hash? Was that all men? What was that one like? So it, it was co-ed for sure. And it was mostly Americans from the various bases there, but there were a fair amount of locals. And I think the pack, if I remember, it was probably in the 20 to 30 range and it was a Saturday morning thing. And we just went out and I remember running all the way down this mountain into this valley outside of town. And then basically there was beer and then we turned around and ran all the way back up the side of a mountain to where we started. It seemed pretty competitive. Everyone seemed pretty in shape and it was definitely a running kennel for sure, at least a decade ago. Apart from there being nothing to do in desolate part of Maryland, why do you think the hash stuck with you in Maryland? I've, I've been a big runner. I ran all through high school and college and you get a little older, you get a little slower and you don't have so much time to train and compete and that sort of stuff. So it gave me something to do that kind of broke the monotony of just running all the time and, and training by myself. But I don't know. I remember coming home from the hash in Mar first hash in Maryland I went to and be like, oh man, I found my people. Like, how, how did this exist right here under my nose? And I had no idea it was here. Because aside from running around, getting see to see parts of the area that you didn't even know existed, random bits of terrain and fun landmarks that you never even knew were there to just the, the circle at the end and the dynamics there. It was just a great experience all around. You travel can take you away from where you plan on being on any given week, probably with the, your service. How long did it take you to get involved as a hare or mismanagement or helping out with events down there? Yes, I went three months just as a $5 hasher, just running with the pack. And they had batted around a couple of names. I was getting ready to go to my first travel hash. It was right before DC Red Dress. I hadn't been named yet. And so it was like, no, you need to do it. You need to hair. We're not naming you until you hair. Okay, I guess I'll hair. When's open? Next week we need a hair. So I grabbed one of the more senior hashers. All right, I think I've got the idea of this. I got a bag of flour. I got some toilet paper. We'll figure this out. So he showed me the ropes and we co-haired the first trail and we didn't kill anyone. So it worked and I got named right after. But yeah, it was about three or four months. How was the first DC? 
red dress. Is that the first time you'd been to a hash that was bigger than 20, 30 people? Yeah, yeah. It was the first event hash, first away hash that I'd been to. It absolutely blew my mind. Oh, this uh, this is a good element to the story. So I had no idea really what to expect. And I didn't know it was the whole hash weekend dynamic. I'm like, oh yeah, we're going to go to this thing on Saturday, which I do, it's fine. I brought my wife and my kids at, at the time. I think my kids were about eight and nine or eight and seven or something. I had a room in the hash hotel because I didn't want to drive back and forth. And I was like, yeah, we'll go make a weekend of it. We'll spend some time in DC. I'll go do my thing on Saturday. Friday afternoon, like four o'clock in the afternoon on Friday. We walk into the hash hotel and there's people in the lobby in various states of undress already running around and doing beer bongs on the floor. And we're like, oh, the, the check-in person was like, oh, let's put you guys on the top floor. That way you're a little bit separated. That's the quiet floor. Yeah, it was a revelation, but I had a great time, obviously. And that sort of started the whole travel bug. I've actually had to limit myself. I do one travel hash a month where I go somewhere else because it will get a little extreme for a while. DC Red Dress has had some events. I've been there a few times. Anything happen on that one or to go smooth? There's been sometimes state park rangers getting involved, sometimes the civilians, anything memorable yep. about well, that? As they go, that one was pretty tame because it was still back in the old DC Red Dress days when we were at the Capitol Skyline Hotel and we would just get the whole place, take over the whole pool deck and the ballroom. It was just a good experience all around. So that that one worked out. And how did your, how did it affect your running? Did you end up running more because you joined the hash? Did it, was it just something you did? Yeah, it, it I did. It definitely made me run more just because it, it gave me something every week to, to look forward to and, and work up to. When I went back to Hawaii, I was there for three years and, and overlapped the pandemic out there. And you can hash in Hawaii five days a week, every week of the month. And then if it's like a full moon week and you get the Harriet's doing their hash, you can hash every day. I was a, a bachelor when I went back to Hawaii and didn't really have much going on aside from work. So I did a lot of hashing. It was great. But then also the people you meet when you're hashing will clue you into new things and stuff. Some of them good, some of them not so good. When I was out in Hawaii, there were lots of people who were big into triathlons. So I was like, oh, we've been running together every Saturday. I guess I can do that. So I started doing triathlons and it was, hey, the Honolulu Marathon's coming up next month. You should sign up. There's a local lonely discount. You do that. And it's culminated where two, three years ago now, I built up and up and I did my first hundred miler with a couple other hashers and that was crazy. And I want to do another one, but I haven't, not to get too racist, I haven't done it again. I, I just haven't had that kind of time, but yeah, I never would have considered that kind of stuff was in my range, I think, without the hash spurring me on. What was living in Kauai like for three years for your travel hashing approach? It definitely put the kibosh on a lot of the travel hashing dynamics, but when you're in the Navy and you have a job where you have to travel a lot anyway, you can always find a hash wherever you go, which has been one of the coolest things. I was using Hazakashi's website, go to the hash.net, and I had no idea it was even his website until after I had met him and been running with him for about six months. And he just casually threw it out to somebody like, oh, I put all this stuff on my website. I'm like, that's yours? I didn't know who made this. But yeah, you can go there and you can find all these hashes anywhere I've gone in the world for the last eight years. I've been able to find a hash at some point and sometimes you'll email them or send a message and they'll go, oh, we don't really hash all that open. When are you coming into town? We'll put a drinking practice on or, oh, heck, we'll see if we can find a hair. We'll have a Tuesday night hash. And so it's been really cool. What's some of the places you've been that were either exotic or surprising? 
for the hash that you found there? Exotic or surprising? All right. It's more about the hash purpose of it than the location itself. Oh, okay. Like who had an unexpected hash group? Yeah. I've, San Diego is a big Navy town. So for the last, you know, two decades, I've been going to San Diego pretty regularly here and there and never had an idea that the hash was going on there. San Diego is a big hashing town. It's another one where you can hash Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday and Tuesday or something every week. Right. And, and what was interesting about San Diego was I would go and I'd usually be there for short trips, a couple of days here and there. So I'd hash with one of the kennels and the next trip, I'd catch another one and piecemeal it together. And after about three, four months, I had collected them all. And you see a lot of the same people, but there's some people that only go to Tuesdays and Fridays, only go to Saturdays. And, and there was a totally different dynamic and, a, and a, a bit of a different vibe to every single kennel in the area. And I thought that was really cool. Because um, one of the things I like about travel hashing is seeing how everything is the same. You can go anywhere in the world. Um, whether it's Djibouti or Amsterdam or England or whichever United State you want to go to. And you can recognize your people, you recognize the commonality, but everyone has their little different twist on it. And you can go, oh, I don't really like that. Or, ooh, that's clever. I'm going to steal that and take that back with me. So that's neat for me. Well, when did you get involved in helping out with weekends or mismanagement? Yeah. So with Smutty Crab, it's a small kennel. I would say the average pack size is about 12 or 15 or so. They used to do a camp out every year and they prided themselves on being the last camp out of the season for kind of the mid-Atlantic or, or East Coast. So it was always like the last weekend in October, right before Halloween, which is always a tweener for the weather. We had a really good campground that had cabins so that if it was cold, we had space, but it also had a pool. So if it was hot, you had that. And it was always this big affair, but the kennel's small, 10, 12 people, which if you've ever tried to throw on a campground for 120 or 150 people and you only have 10 or 12 on this man, it, it's pretty demanding. I come back from DC red dress and it's instantly, Hey, you had fun there. Our camp out's in through two weeks and we could sure use the labor. So I just got thrown right into it. About six months later, I had been doing a bit more travel hashing and bouncing around. I was at the point where I was getting annoyed at our RA who would run circle and there was no kind of rhyme to reason. No two circles had the same order and same dynamic. And we were singing the same three songs over and over. So I said, Hey, why don't you let me try my hand at this? I think I can do this. And they're like, yeah, sure, man, you want it, you take it. And so I RA'd and I left, I was the RA back out in Hawaii at Aloha. And then I came back and I'm the RA here now. And so once an RA, RA. Yeah. Let's cover your hash name. Who named you and what did you think of that naming? <laughs> My hash name is Scuba Deuce. I was named here in uh, Southern Maryland at Smutty Crab. And the, the person who came up with my hash name is a hasher from uh, Annapolis. And her name is Beer and a Bag Full of Dildos. Good times. She's got like a 3D layer hash necklace. She's a whole nother dynamic, but, and she's really good with the names that are puns and takes on stuff. It's obviously a play on Scooby-Doo. But it's scuba deuce because when I first started my Navy life, I was a diver and I had an unfortunate incident that involved a dry suit and some bad curry that I had eaten the night before. And it was, was a whole big story, which normally I can act out with lots of hand motions and the full <laughs> orchestration. That's where that came from. How, how are you doing with naming? What's the turnover at Smutty Crab? But Smutty Crab or Slutty Crab? Smutty, Southern Maryland, unathletic, tippling trail blazers with a Y. Yeah. 
because smut crab was a little too thin there. So we put a Y on the end. How often do you get to name people at your own hash there? We probably have three or four namings a year. We definitely benefit from the fact that it's a military town, especially if we push a little bit north, we can hash within kind of metro or easy Uber distance of DC and Annapolis. So we do get a, a fair amount of people coming through and, but the turnover's high too, because people are here for two, three years max, and then they move on somewhere else. That's somewhere around three to four per year. Do you bring people to the hash? Do you recruit people? You had three different pals keep pulling you in until it finally took. How about you and inviting people? Yeah, I'm, I am really bad about bringing people to the hash. It's, uh, it's always a thing that I'm telling other people, we need new blood, bring your friends, bring them in. I think I've brought maybe two, two people who stuck with it over all the time I've been hashing. I don't know. I, I like the hash because I can let my hair down and go a little wild. And I've, I've had kind of a clean cut like <laughs> leading up to here. And there's a certain amount of circle of people that I work with and interact with on a normal basis. And and then you have the hash, which is this weird, and there's very little overlap in that Venn diagram. I think it's tough for me to say, oh, that person would be a good hasher. I should bring them out. Maybe I'm too selective. I don't know. Yeah, it might not lead to anything good. Yeah. Let's talk about oh, Hawaii because you were there during COVID. What was it like in Hawaii hashing COVID time? It was awful, quite frankly. It was terrible. They shut down the whole state pretty much overnight. There were all these governor's protective orders that came out. In Hawaii, people live in really small houses and because you don't spend any time in your house, you're always outside, you're hiking, you're at the beach, you're at the parks. They shut all of that stuff down. You couldn't even be on the beach. You couldn't be in groups of more than two people. And that was only if you're in the same household. They closed all the bars instantly. I guess it was a lot like a lot of places, but for us in Hawaii, it was particularly devastating, right? Because now everyone's stuck inside and that lasted about two or three weeks. And I got together with the GM out there at Aloha and I was like, we got to do something like people are going crazy. So we figured it out and we changed to dead laid trails where we'd essentially post on the webpage. Hey, here's the start trail will be laid by 11 o'clock on Saturday. Feel free to run it post here on the Facebook page when you start trail. And then when you end that way, we can make sure nobody's stuck on a mountain somewhere. And then at 7 p.m. on Saturday, we'll have a Zoom circle and we'll all join in on Zoom. And that worked out pretty well. People liked that. It was good. And over time, as it sort of wore on four, five, six months into the pandemic, I was living in what we called the hash house out in Hawaii. We had two hashers that got married. They bought this McMansion on the windward side of the island. It was like a seven bedroom house and it was just the two of them. But it needed a lot of work. So I moved into the kind of servant quarters and I was working to make my rent there. And then we had all these other rooms. Hazakashi ended up calling one night and he's, Hey, I I'm getting kicked out of Bahrain because of the pandemic. I'll be in Honolulu in 18 hours. Can somebody please pick me up? And also I need a place to stay. So we grabbed him from the airport and he stayed there in one of the guest rooms for three, four months till he just couldn't handle it anymore and got the travel bug again and found a country that would take him. But we had, but rotating cast of characters who rotated out about five, six months into doing the zoom circle, dead lay trail thing. It was working. People started going, there's five of you over at that hash house. And I only live a short bicycle ride away. I'll just go over and we'll stay six feet apart. Eventually we ended up with 15, 20 people would show up at the hash house on a Saturday night anyway. And we're like, why don't we just go back to live circles if we can? Yeah. It was an interesting dynamic, but it, it did really have an effect on the hash because when I showed up this time, let's see, that time would have been 18, early 2018, I showed up to Hawaii. 
just a regular Saturday, nothing special. You'd have a 50 hasher pack. And then towards rolling on through the pandemic by the end, 15 or 20, and they still haven't really gotten their numbers back. If it's some kind of a special occasion, you'll get people that come out of retirement and out of the woodwork and they'll show up. But the days of the 50 people for a normal pack and then for a big event, having 100 people show up to trail, they're pretty much gone, I think. And we just haven't gotten back there after the pandemic. You've done this travel hashing and you've gotten to some of the bigger events, the international events, continental events. Before we talk about which ones are those and how they work for you and what you like about those, what about Hawaii as a host? There's always been talk. So you've had experience there and you've been to a lot of events. Is Hawaii a good venue for hosting a big event, do you think or not? I think it could be. Here's the problem is that with Hawaii, you have the tyranny of distance. It's far from everywhere. It's a small rock in the middle of the biggest ocean. So you've got that. And that necessarily means that it's going to be expensive for everyone. There's just no way around it. Just your transportation costs to get there are expensive. Everything's expensive in Hawaii and you're going to have to eat it and figure it out. So when people look like, geez, the last interim, the one that was on the cruise boat, when we were getting the bids from everybody and people were like, yeah, for, I think it was 300 or $400, whatever it was, you can come hash in Columbia for four days. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. It's so cheap. Cause I think New Orleans, it was pitched it and their price was like, yeah, you got to get your own hotel, but it's going to be 800 bucks. How can you compete on the price there? Which in retrospect, maybe we should have gone with New Orleans how that all shook out. Uh, I know Occupied, who you've had on the podcast in the past, he and a couple of guys had pulled together an interim pitch for a while to try and do it on the big island in Hawaii. And the whole thing fell flat, flat on his face because they were just so much more expensive than everything else. When we batted around the idea again, it would be perfect because you talk about the, the terrain and the area. Hawaii is, is hashing Disneyland, but it's just so expensive. There's just no way you can do it cheap. Unless some hasher wants to like buy 500 acres on the big island or something and let us use their space. Yeah, that's good to discuss because people will think about it and wonder and that, and that kind of clears it up a bit from somebody that's been there and lived there and knows it. Let's talk about Columbia and yeah. what happened since. Well, the details are going to someday shake out of what's happened there. What was your reaction or what was the hashing world's reaction that you took part in? Yeah, so I met Pablo Piscobar, who was going to be the GM for it in about 2018, 2019, somewhere in there when I was bumming around South Florida doing some travel hashing. And I thought he was a super nice guy. He was super cool, super fun. So when I saw him on the boat, he pitched this thing. I had no doubts about it. Like, oh man, he's going to have a great, he's going to throw on a great event. And then as things went on and the details changed, shifts, okay, prices go up, stuff changes, dynamics. And then I think we were in the, in the height of the pandemic where everyone was trying to figure out what was going on with the world. And Kaz had traveled down there to do some travel hashing and had talked to him and had looked at the preparations and stuff. And he said, oh yeah, this is good. This is good. That's good. I got some reservations about this, but this is good. And it's okay. They'll get it sorted out. They got another year or whatever. And then when he got killed, that was like, whoa, what's going on? And then just to see the rest of it play out after that has just been like a bad soap opera, unfortunately. Yeah, I don't know that we're ever going to get resolution from it. I think this, whatever this legal battle is, is going to go on for a while. I just consider it sunk costs and it's fine and move on with my life, which is why when I got back to the mainland and it was 
moved back here uh, last winter, right about the time it was, everything was falling apart. It was like, hey, there is no International Columbia. The money's been spent. Here's a picture of the dogs you guys rescued and the house that you guys paid to build that's on land you can't build on or whatever. And we looked at it and I live on a 15 acre old RV park that hasn't been used in 20 years. And that's where I live. And I was like, I think I could probably fit a bunch of hashers and some campers and stuff here. Let's figure out a price and we can do it for 29 bucks a person. If you had a Rego to go down to Columbia, you could come out and we called it the Fuck Columbia Alternate Interim. We held that last Labor Day weekend. Unfortunately, two days leading up to the event, I had smoothed everything over with my landlord. I had contracts to get porta potties brought out and I had all this stuff coming in so he could keep beer cold and all that. Two days before, so people had already started showing up uh, to, to help out and set up. My landlord came over and was like, yeah, you, you can't do this. We're not comfortable with this. Wow. But you, I got an email. You said it was totally cool. You said it was fine. And, and then about an hour later, I got a call from my, the other one of my landlords and the family attorney who said, yeah, you can't do this. They're revoking. You can't. And we spent about an hour going back and forth. And they said, nope, you can't find something else. We scrambled. We looked and it took about two hours that I think took probably two or three years off my life. But I was just frantically making phone calls, trying to figure something out. And we found this other campground that was just 10 miles down the road, which I had looked at to potentially host another event a couple of years ago and forgotten about it. And we called them and they're like, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, we can totally do that. When do you want to do it? And I'm like, oh, I told you already. It's tomorrow. Three o'clock. <laughs> and they went, oh, that's last minute planning, isn't it? And I'm like, you don't want to know the story. Just give me a yes or no. And they're like, oh, yeah, come on down. So it ended up working out. It was great. And, and everyone had a good time. How many people turned up? We had, I capped the Regas at a hundred and then we had a wait list of, I don't know, it's 25 or 30. And as people were changing out last minute, if you've ever organized an event always happens. We cleared out the entire wait list at the last count. I think we we're 89 people who actually showed up for at least one night of the weekend. So it was pretty good. That might be record <laughs> latest securing of a venue of all time for over 50 people. That's brilliant. So what happened there? I know that led to you getting involved in expanding the scope and the horizons of what you're going to do. Yeah. So we pulled out this camp out and everyone had a good time. It ended up working out. The nice people who owned the campground, they basically had this essentially trash pile of all this wood and broken stuff and they piled it up for us. So we had a huge bonfire. We brought our own DJ stuff, had the disco dance party and it's really good area for trail and it's a gorgeous campground right on the Chesapeake Bay. And so there's a good swimming beach and kayaks and stuff people could use. It, it worked out well. It was really good. Everyone had a good time. We did a Huzzah H3 trail at the Maryland Renaissance Festival on Sunday for people who wanted to. And I got back from that. I got pulled aside. A sex toy story who was involved with the last Nash Hash, and she's done a bunch of stuff with Mink. And she was like, hey, Nash Hash doesn't have a host since they had to back out. It's next year, so you really need to leave the year of plan everything. But this place would be perfect for it if you guys want to host it. And I was like, absolutely not. We had to made it through this weekend. We've got about half the number of people that we could reasonably expect as a minimum number to go to Nash Hash. This is a terrible idea. And then she kept picking at it. And I don't know if she was telling other people or whatever, but three or four or five other people before the end of the weekend, because we stayed through Monday of Labor Day, three or four or five other people randomly and independently came up and they're like, yeah, Nash Hash really sucks. This would be a great spot because it's so close to. And so eventually 
I get back and kind of sleep for 18 hours after it's done. And I wake up on sometime Tuesday and I've got a bunch of messages like, hey, this guy from Alabama, you should talk to him about what it takes to host Nash Hash or what it is. And I'm like, oh, sure, whatever message. And eventually, I think it took about three, four days before they're like, yeah, here's what it takes. Here's what it would be. We'll set you up. What really sealed it was I had a bunch of people like, hey, hey, yeah, if, you, if you host Nash Hash in Maryland, like I'll gladly help and I'll be your trail master or I'll be your head chef and I'll, I'll run all this or I'll do all the airport logistics. And okay, we're building a team here and we may have some people. So, all right, I guess we'll do it. And, and so we've been off to the races and uh, yeah, it's official now. The USA Nash Hash 2024 will be Labor Day weekend and it's down here in lovely Southern Maryland, St. Mary's County. And it. Is it considered hash by Smutty Crab or is it considered just the Nash hash hosted by you and your team? What is it? Uh, yes, we have the full moon kennel down here is the Smut Butts full moon kennel, which is the offshoot of Smutty Crabs that only host trail once a month during the full moon. And I have a poor people who are the sort of diehard hashers willing to hash on Tuesdays and Thursday nights. And, and so that's the, the hosting kennel. And that was the hosting kennel for the last event too. And it worked out pretty well. So that's what we're doing. Cool. Like, Let's talk about the hashing culture a bit. And if there's anybody or, or clubs you want to mention that influenced you, who were the influences that got you, apart from your own personality of being RA, who influenced you into your style of RA at all? Anyone? Oh man, I'm a, I'm a total thief. So I'll go around. I'll always pay attention to everyone's circle and I'll steal little elements from whomever. And then anyone who knows me or has travel hash with me, I'll tell you that I'm very quiet and respectful and I'll play along. But if you're not a good RA and you're losing control or people are getting bored, then I will just step in and I will RA anyone's circle uh, for, for better or worse. There's usually a certain level of inebriation that's required for me to get there, but yeah, it's happened enough times that it's a thing. I've been to a couple circles that Spare Rib has RA'd, and he is just a fantastic RA. So I, I'm always learning when I'm seeing how he runs the show. He's the one that kind of sticks out in my mind. It's just one of those classic RAs, but I've stolen so much stuff from so many people in so many places over time that it's tough for me to even mention. That's great. What about the size of circles? You're certainly comfortable with your club size. And are you going to be the RA for the Nash Hash for the giant circle there? And have you done big circles? Yeah. So I'll, I'll put a TBD on that one. And if anyone wants to RA that one, I'll happily just give it to them because yeah, I, I find that the big giant unruly circles, they're not as fun for me. I'm going to RA, I'm going to RA a DC red dress this year, which is coming up in two weeks. It's huge. When you have that many people, you, you can't maintain control and you can't do the normal circle dynamics. And so that's not quite as fun for me. If you can keep it to a hundred or less, you can usually have a good circle. But also there's a size, right? You want to have 10, 20 people minimum so that you can get some of those dynamics and keep things fun for everyone. So yeah, there's definitely a sweet spot. You're going to be hosting and GM of the Nash Hash. It's another one of these organizations. We're talking about there's an Interhash Council now. There's a Eurohash Council format. And the Nash Hash is something that, yeah, it's just informally done. Yeah. You'll probably move into as a host, you'll be one of the people for keeping it alive going forward then. Yeah, that was the goal was, hey, if it's going to die and nobody's going to do it, right? Because once you start skipping years, it's really tough to bring things back from the dead is what I've learned with a lot of these big mega events. Yeah, some of them that have died, like we, we didn't think Mink would come back. 
from the pandemic after they skipped a year. Tits, tubing in the South, which used to be a really great East Coast camp out in Virginia. It died four or five years ago and they said, we'll return. And there's been no motion to return and I don't think it's ever coming back. There's been a lot of stuff like that. And it's almost easier if you can keep some momentum. I can use Southern Maryland and say it's not on anybody's vacation destination list, but that does have some things going for it. It's a nice area. The weather will be good. And it is some really good terrain for Shiggies. So we'll make some lemonade out of these lemons and it'll be good. Yeah, I was happy to take it over. To my knowledge, there's no Nash Hash Council or anything, but that's part of this process was like, okay, let me forward you all these emails that I've been handed down. And some of these email chains go back 10 years in terms of, hey, here's what you need to do to start your nonprofit organization and get your paperwork lying flat. And here's what you do about the accounts on the money and you got to have this many people. There's definitely rules and a back end, which thankfully most people don't see or, or have to worry about. So there's some backbone to it, but yeah, there isn't the big council or whatever. So we'll see. Have you encountered the Strokey Bear and the Hashers, not Trashers? Is that something that might be a part of Nash Hash? I've known Strokey for probably, yeah, seven or eight years now. I think I met him at Savannah Green Dress, probably my first Savannah Green Dress. I've been a Hashers, not Trashers member for a while. I have a Hashers, not Trashers happy somewhere in the stack of them over here. Yeah, we're at the point where we're trying to loop in other people and loop in other kennels and see what kind of dynamics we can get. Yeah, whether it's Hashers, not Trashers or Bad Decision. There's even a couple of the DC kennels that are around that we're like, hey, you're close enough. You can come join. Yeah, we're in the coalition building right now. So if anyone's interested, we're happy to have the help. How far ahead do you look at your schedule for these once a month travel hashes? Where are you going to be if people are going to might bump into you? I would love to say that there's lots of planning and I sit down with a calendar and flow this out, but it's pure dumb luck. It's usually one half mind or another will just message me randomly and say, Hey, you're going to Tampa naked this year, or Hey, you're going to Savannah green dress this year. And like, no, Rigos are open now. Come on. It, it just happens that I'm at the point now where I do have to limit it. And I, people will say, Hey, there's this great event. And I go, Oh, I haven't gone to that one. All right. When is it? And I got to look at my calendar and go, no, no, I'm going hashing the week before the week after whatever. I've got to limit my travel hashing, but let's see, to answer the actual question you asked, where am I going to be? I'll be at DC red dress coming up here. The, that'll probably happened before this airs and then i'm gonna put this right out oh okay this is fresh all right so yeah i'll be at dc red dress which is columbus day or Indigenous people's day weekend here in dc and then this is the one i screwed up in october the weekend after i'll be in helen georgia for cocktoberfest i think november is mercifully open right now and then in december i'm going to carolina trash prom in fayetteville I don't think I have anything planned until going to New Zealand in March and doing the inner hash thing there. I'll, I'll let you know, they just opened the last day of early bird price for the Hogtown anniversary weekend, Niagara Falls. Oh, okay. Or second weekend in November. Oh, there you go. I'll look like November's filling up now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's a couple hashes that I was in the habit of going every year because it's like old home week. You see the people who you only see once every year at that event. I've started moving away from that the last couple of years because I realized there's so many good hashes out there right now. And every time you go to one, you're going to meet a whole bunch of new people and they'll tell you about five other ones that you just have to go to. And you're like, oh, yeah. And I really haven't been disappointed yet going to anyone. So we'll see. Where were you this summer? 
oh my God, where wasn't I this summer? So I bounced all around Europe this summer in advance of, of Eurohash and, and I did Eurohash in Amsterdam. That was awesome. That's great. Who was that? Yeah. So Bubbles was one. Ron John was another who was like, yeah, oh, I'm Ron John. You're in my room. I'm like, oh yeah, but don't worry. I know your whole story. I, I'll tell you. Yeah. So that was fun. It was great. And uh, man, I can't remember the name of the other person, but yeah, it was super cool. It was a good dynamic. It's just a lot of fun to go see people. What else did I do this summer? Man, I traveled so much this summer that I'm a little burnt out right now. Well, who would you, you've heard some of these podcasts, people on the podcast, you're been interviewed now. I started out getting some of the older folks. Some people are reluctant to get on there. So maybe you can help out. And people that have stories or history, and like I said, it doesn't have to be people that have been on the hash forever. They're yeah. great to capture old history from, but also anybody with insights, perhaps you can help with encouraging people. I know you've recommended several people to be on the podcast and that's worked out well. So maybe we can tell people it doesn't hurt to be on. Yeah. There's a lot of people with interesting stories and what got me into the podcast was all the really old people and the origin stories and that stuff. But it's been interesting to hear the younger people, especially from different parts of the world and, and how they do things differently. And, oh man, I got to make sure to go to Malaysia now, or man, I really need to go to New Zealand now. That's been cool. I know my reluctance was like, I don't have an interesting enough story. There's this, I've only been hashing a couple of years and I've only been a, mo a few places, but yeah, I'd say if anyone wants to, they I think you've got openings and you're obviously scraping the bottom of the barrel already if I'm here. That's great. This one will be good to, good to promote your event. And like it or not, you're going to get flooded with emails and everything else for the next 12 months. And uh, yeah, hopefully you won't get kicked out of the campground. Yeah, no, there I went back two, three days later, whatever it was after we had this event. I came back and I was like, oh, I can't believe I'm going to do this. And I'm talking to them. You sat down on the owner's porch and they handed me a beer and they're like, yeah, so what's it going to take to get you guys back here? And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. All right, listen, I'm going to have more people and we need some things. They're like, oh, yeah, it's fine, whatever. And it was a really good experience. They're excited to have us. It's a good spot. We're excited to be back and, and welcome people down to Southern Maryland. So look for details coming out soon. Hopefully within the next week, maybe even before this podcast hits the streets, we'll be getting the regos up. We're just waiting to iron out a couple of details to make sure we get the pricing right and have all the I's dotted and T's crossed. We'll get them out there. Once you got into it, it's been whirlwind and you're out hashing all the time, all over the place. Has it changed since you got in? Apart from the impact of COVID, which gutted some clubs and gutted some events, do you have a perspective of anything changing or is it the club you joined? I don't know if it's so much that the hashing world and the culture has changed, or I've just become a bit more aware of some things. When you first start something, you're looking through a soda straw and just trying to soak it all in and then you get a little more perspective. But I don't know, I think compared to even starting a few years ago, within the last decade, we'll say these big mega events, some of them were just wild. Some of them were just absolutely crazy and, and just off the chain and it seems like a lot of them have had to dial things back and they're a little tamer for better or worse. I think some of it's good for sure. So some of that's changed. I think there's definitely more of a culture of, shall we say, accountability where we're not going to overlook things that cross a certain boundary, uh, at least in U.S. hashing, where, yeah, we're just not going to tolerate certain people at certain practices. And people have said there's witch hunts in certain areas and you have to be careful about that dynamic. But 
I think there's a certain kind of person that's really good for the hash and really fun to be around and you want those people, but there's certain people who take it too far or quite frankly, can be predatory in the hash. And definitely I've seen an effort to root those people out, keep that out of the hash, which has been good. But other than that, it's really just the numbers fluctuation, which, man, I, I always laugh when I hear people on this podcast who've been hashing for a couple decades who are like, oh, it was, it was so much better 20 years ago. It seems like it was always better 20 years ago, right? But I question some of the judgment having, when Harrier Magazine shut down, Bimbo ended up giving me a whole ton of his old archives. He's like, oh, just take this out of the garage, whatever. So I had all these back issues of Harrier Magazine and I was able to flip through them and look through them and you see the event write-ups and you're like, wow, we're doing the same thing that they did in the 70s in Malaysia and it's cool. But you look at some of the pictures and aside from some of the clothing and the hairstyles, it could be taken today. And I, I, I ask a lot of people this and it, it, it's just how your brain works and how you think about things. If you attended a hash 30, 40 years ago, you'd recognize it. What do you think 50 years from now? Would they recognize what we're doing today? I think so. We've made it this long, right? We've got what, 90 years or so already that's going strong. So I, I think, I think it'll, I think it'll last. I think like everything, it goes in cycles, it goes in waves. And I think it's changed a bit. I think if G were running around today, they'd go, Oh, I started this. There's some small elements that are still the same, but then we've certainly built on it. And I think that's only going to continue where things are going to change and, and evolve. And um, I forget the person's name, but you had a person from Mother Hash who was on here maybe 10 or 20 episodes ago. And he was talking about how they're aging and they're getting older and they're getting a little less steady and a little slower and the pack gets spread out. So they're making sure everyone has a cell phone with them on trail which still most of the hashes I go to, they'll sing the technology song and they'll make people drink for having technology on trail. But there was a hash just recently somewhere in the Caribbean where they had a guy die on Grenada. trail. Yeah. In Grenada. Yeah, I wanted yeah. to ask you about that. Have you had any close calls? And what did you think about that news? Oh my God. I've had, personally, I haven't had any close calls, but I've been on trail where we blocked people. The pack gets back and everybody goes and you're like, where is so-and-so? And you got to go find them. The one that particularly sticks out in my mind is uh, it was just a normal Tuesday hash at the Honolulu hash house areas, the H5. Normal. They're mostly urban, usually short hash. You're in and out in an hour, fairly quick circle and, and on your way. Haas was the hare. And it was in a really great area, it was a little hiking area and small park that was right off of the highway. And so we show up and we do this thing and the H5, I, I jokingly say the median age is about 65. It's the old people hash in Hawaii, but it's really good. There's usually good trails, but there's one guy who shows up to H5, derelict. He's got to be in his seventies by now. He's starting to have some health problems and that sort of thing. But he always showed up and it was cool. It was like, here's your grandpa. He's come out again. And he's always a fun guy. And he would go and we'd usually give him a head start and he'd jog a little bit and then walk most of the trail, but it was always fine. On this particular Tuesday, we ran through this trail. We get there, we get done and we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting. And after about a half hour where the last person has gotten in who walked the whole thing and started late and said, oh, I haven't seen him in miles. We're like, okay, something's got to give. The trail wasn't that long. I start going backwards. I make it about a mile backwards on the trail. And I'm like, man, I don't see him. Maybe he turned around and came back the other way. I turn back and I go back to start. And I'm like, man, I didn't see him. I, I, I went a mile in, a mile back, didn't see him. And so Haas goes, all right, I'm going to run it frontwards. You run it backwards, we'll go. And so we both did the whole trail again. We met in the middle. I didn't see him. I didn't see him. And we made it all the way through. And we're like, all right, go again. And so I ran it forwards again. He ran it backwards. And by wow. this time, a few more people helping and looking around and... 
It's starting to get dark. I ended up running that trail four times that night. And by nine o'clock at night, it's pitch black. It's dark. We were on single track through the woods and somebody was like, this is too long. He's not on trail. Maybe he fell off. He's down the side of a mountain, whatever. We called the, the local police department for rescue and had him come out and they came out and met us and they started walking trail and they're like, yeah, all this flower. We just follow that. Yeah. Yeah. Follow the flower. That's where it is. And they were there for maybe 20 minutes before they're like, it's way too dark. We're going to have to come back in the morning. And we all dejectedly went home at 10 o'clock at night. Oh my God, we killed Derelict. He's out on trail. I got a call about two in the morning that apparently Derelict had tried to take a shortcut on trail, ended up falling, rolled downhill a bit, ended up having to cross a literal bullpen, jumped a fence, realized there were bulls inside the fence, had to scamper over the other fence and Ended up down the road a couple miles and just decided to walk home. And somebody picked him up like a mile from his house and was like, where are you? And he made it home about one, two in the morning. And the call got back to me yeah, that evening. Luckily, it had a good ending. But that was one where we looked at it and we're like, you know what? Maybe with people who are going to walk and spend a lot of their time alone, they should have some method to call them and take a cell phone with them or something. But yeah, that was a big close call that I had, but I know there've been a couple of kennels like Tidewater had a death on trail just a couple of years ago and it happens from time to time. It's sad and it, it definitely is inherently risky. And I think sometimes we gloss over the risks to some of it. And there are some small changes that I think we can make and, and having a sweeper hair is a big thing, but to a certain extent, the risk is what adds to the fun to some of it. Ah, it's a brilliant story, actually. It's compelling. It's gripping. I wanted to know the ending. Oh. Well, he made it and he, right. and he hashes on Tuesdays. So all's well, it ends well, I guess. All right. I derelict. All right. Okay. What else do you want to get in here? I think it's good. Thanks, Scuba Deuce, for everything you do and what you're doing ahead. Uh, we've hashed together. I don't know if we've been on the same trail. We've been at the same events. Yeah. But it's uh, an ever-expanding world. And yeah, thanks for the stuff you're doing with USA Nashash. I will... Try to get us down there. Yeah, sweet. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, for anyone interested in details, look at the USA Nash Ash. We're on Facebook. You can just look at it, join the Facebook page. Details are dribbling out. And we'll have Rigos here hopefully in early October. All right. On, on. On, on. Thanks. To close the circle, here's the Hash Anthem sung by Mother Hash. Swing low. Sweet. Oh. Uh -huh.